for me, it's very important that we're completely transparent with the customer and they know exactly where the products are coming from and that, that we're also investing back in the communities where our businesses are. Welcome to the Virginia Foodie Podcast, where we lift the lid on the craft food industry and tell the stories behind the good food, good people, and good brands that you know and love. If you've ever come across a yummy food brand and wondered, how did they do that? How did they turn that recipe into a successful business? Then we've got some stories for you. If you love local food, then you're going to love the story of today's guest, Nathan Webster from Scratch Biscuit Company in Roanoke. I don't know if you noticed, but biscuits are having a moment in craft food. And Nathan has been riding that wave since 2016, bringing us breakfast treats, biscuit sammies, and his own roast of four coffee blends. Listen in as he shares his commitment to local sourcing and to giving back to his community. Stick around to the end because he gives us a sneak preview of some Cajun-inspired items that will be hitting the menu later this year. Hello, Nathan. Thank you for joining me today. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about Scratch Biscuit and what you're doing in Roanoke? Yeah, I want to thank you for having me on today, too. But Scratch Biscuit was started in August of 2016 down in the Grandin Village of Roanoke, Virginia. And we wanted to offer a big country style breakfast, I guess you could say, to a lot of the neighborhood. Biscuits being our main point of emphasis. There was no breakfast around. So when the building became available, we jumped on it, you know, took the opportunity, opened it up and wanted to get to use as many local products as possible. So I visited Roanoke last year and saw your building. What was it it looks like it was used for another kind of restaurant at one time. What did you move into? That building's had a lot of uses over its lifespan. When I was in the restaurant next door, which is still there, the building was vacant when I was first there. And then a pizza shop went in there and it only lasted probably two or three years, give or take. I can't remember exactly. And we had the opportunity to purchase that building as well as the building our other restaurant was in. And when we purchased that building, the idea was we need to put a breakfast place in the neighborhood because it was something that wasn't there. And a lot of people in the neighborhood really needed it, wanted it, had a desire for it. So it seemed like the perfect opportunity and we took it. You've expanded from just breakfast. So you're serving all day long, right? We are still closing at two o'clock. We do offer a lunch menu and we are actually getting ready to start doing po'boys in the next, I'd say probably six to seven months, you know, still trying to ride this out and see what goes on with everything. I'm not exactly sure of when the exact start date will happen on that, but it will happen. When we first went in there, we had a lot of flexibility, you know, with having the restaurant next door that we just wanted to start with breakfast and kind of play around with it, see what would work, see what wouldn't work, see what lunch items would work. And having that flexibility has helped us to really get a good concept behind us where we kind of really know what we're doing now. To move forward and you know so we we've, we've done burgers we've done baked potatoes some things have worked some things haven't worked so the po boys is another need in the roanoke virginia area it's a sandwich that every time we run it on special it sells out every time we do a po boy biscuit it sells out every time we do a gumbo or etouffee or anything along those lines it sells out so that was really the reason why we decided 
to do the po' boys in the afternoon. So I fully expect to see a positive response from that when we start that, you know, sometime next year. Yeah. Just for the sake of listeners who aren't in Roanoke, what is the other restaurants you're referring to? It's the Village Grill, which is that Grand Village. And I mean, it's just a typical bar and grill. We've got a lot of outside dining. You know, we've got big screens for sports. It's an American fair type menu. You mm-hmm. know, just a traditional neighborhood bar and grill. You were coming from an even more expanded recipe background or menu background when you switched or started, I should say, Scratch Biscuit. So some of these other things that you're adding to your your menu items or, or adaptations maybe that would fit this new model. Yes, ma'am. And I mean, honestly, with the breakfast, we wanted to keep it very simple, very straightforward, because as many people know, in the morning time, your window of opportunity to grab a meal is much shorter than, say, a lunch break or a dinner break. So you want to come in and grab something quick and be on your way to work. There's not as many people that have time to come in and necessarily sit down and enjoy a breakfast meal unless it's on the weekend or some, you know, some situation like that. Yeah, so you have a pretty specifically small footprint there. I mean, you are a breakfast shop. If you're closing at lunch, you don't have to have, you're not serving like long meals. We're talking right now in late October. How did the pandemic and the shutdowns impact Scratch Biscuit specifically? Were you able to tool along for a while or did you have to go entirely dark? We closed both the restaurants for about a month when this first broke out because there was still just so much unknown and, you know, there was a lot of uncomfortable air about the staff. And it was one of those things where I wasn't 100% comfortable bringing everybody into work until we got a better grasp of what was going on. So I just decided, you know, let's just shut it down for a month, get some more information down. And in that time, I could get together a good game plan, which we did. And we opened back up about a month after we closed. And we were very fortunate with the Village Grill with having so much outside dining that we were able to capitalize off that. And with Scratch, there was an area that we used to smoke barbecue out of that we were transitioning into more outside seating for the Village Grill anyway, that we were able to open up and use for outside seating for Scratch, which has been a tremendous help for us this year, you know, especially on our busy days, high volume days like the weekends. That's good because in my memory, there wasn't a lot of space where you could do that, that outside seating. Yeah, we were a small, small little breakfast shop. But, and honestly, the idea was in the future with Scratch as well is to move toward that outside dining anyway, because we needed that. So we're going to have that outside dining moving forward in the future, which will help us out. But it's, it's definitely been a great source of revenue. It's been a game changer for restaurants to have that atmosphere, you know, considering the restrictions we're, we're asked to follow. So you added that outside seating in a hurry, which you're saying you're going to keep, which is good. That's always good. Expand your seating and get serve more people. What has been your biggest business pivot that you've had to change? Have you have you had to like turn in directions you weren't expecting? Or I mean, we've had some of that. We haven't had to adapt as much as you know maybe some of the places that are traditionally just inside dining only. So we've been fortunate in that aspect. We have move towards going a more to-go and curbside model at Scratch. We've done a lot more to-go at the Village Grill, and I see that continuing through the winter, you know, until next spring. We've had to change the way we staff a little bit and change change the way we operate our phones because there's been an increased call volume for the to-go. We were actually in the process of developing an app before this whole thing kind of started. 
and we're in the final stages of that right now that will be coming out probably late this fall, early winter, which you know I predict is going to help us out a lot because it's going to be our very own app. We can download and have our customers order you know, to either pick up in the store, either do curbside or delivery. And we're going to be hiring more delivery drivers as we get into the winter season because we're seeing a need in that area for people that just don't necessarily want to leave the house. Mm-hmm. So curbside, is that a thing? I mean, that takes a different kind of staffing. Is that something that you see restaurants Chain restaurants have been doing it for a while, like the big ones, but do you see continuing curbside in Scratch or any of the other restaurants you're working with? Well, we've done curbside at Scratch since we opened. Oh. We haven't had a traditional drive through I'm really working and I've been actually talking with the city a little bit about trying to figure out a way to put a drive through in there. It's all about figuring out a way to do the traffic pattern safely. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that or not, but we will always continue curbside. Oh, okay. Forgive me for not knowing that because I just walked right in your door, sat down. (laughs) Yeah, most people do. We've got the signs up. You know, you see people parking there and if you're not going in there on a regular basis, you don't really see it. It's also something that our social media team has helped us promote and market, which has helped out. And, you know, the longer we do it, obviously, the more people know it. But especially during, you know, these past, I'd say six months as all this has started happening, our curbside has increased quite a bit. And a lot of our customers have actually enjoyed it much more than necessarily having to walk inside just for the pure convenience of it, especially on colder and rainy days. I was immediately thinking about breakfast on the go. We see a lot of that with the business crowd during the week is the curbside. And the thing is, they can either pull up an order or, you know, for a majority of the time, those just people call and we just tell them to give us your make and color of your car and they pull up and we've got everything ready for you. Yeah, that's a good thing. It appeals to me anyway. Of course, I I walk to work, but still, (laughs) I will make a detour for an interesting breakfast. Well, with our proximity to downtown, it's one of those things that helps us out a lot because we get a lot of traffic specifically from Grand and people and the neighborhood people that work downtown, you know, because it's just right on the way down there. Oh, yeah. That sounds really good. So you guys came on our radar really because Virginia Foodie is all about promoting locally sourced food. And I know when I was visiting your shop, I saw that big sign for the Big Spring Mill flower. So I know that you're using that. And you mentioned Laurel Springs Farm as a source for your beef. Can you talk a little bit about the providers that you work with and their relationships and things like that? Yeah, when we started Scratch, we obviously wanted to use a local flower, and we're very blessed and fortunate here in Roanoke to have one of the last family-owned mills around, really, in general, over in Elliston, Virginia, which is just, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes from Roanoke, from where we are. It's just on the other side of Salem, and Salem adjoins Roanoke. And, you know, we went and toured that facility before we opened, and I would encourage anybody if they get a chance in the area to stop by there and kind of look and just talk to the family because they're just good salt of the earth, down to the earth people. And, and that flour mill is seriously like walking back in time. I mean, everything is done the same way it does, was done in the 20s and the 30s. They've got fields there that they gather their grain from and they also contract some fields out in the rest of Virginia and North Carolina. And I mean, they do more than just flour. They do cornmeal. They do feed for farm animals. It's a big operation and it's one that we're very fortunate to have in this area. And it's something I don't think a lot of people recognize, you know, 
the fact that we have that here. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things I love to see it promoted because they definitely deserve that. Laurel Springs Farm is a farm out of Marion, Virginia. And I have known that couple for a long time. I come from a family of farmers outside of Charlottesville, Virginia and Orange, Virginia. And Courtney used to live in Culpeper before she married Seth and moved down to Marion. So it was obviously a relationship that was going to work from the beginning there. And, you know, we get all of our beef from them and it's a quality beef. It's pasture raised and people know exactly where their beef is coming from. It's been a popular menu item, you know, at both restaurants when we use it. And I mean, they offer everything from like strip steaks to any cut of the beef you can get. We primarily use the hamburger, mm-hmm. but they supply all different types of things to other restaurants as well. That sounds delicious. Pasture-raised beef um, on a freshly made biscuit. I'm getting hungry right now. Man, it's good. (laughs) Well, I also saw that you guys are roasting coffee. Do you cycle through different flavors or do you always carry the same ones there? We've got four different varieties we work through right now. We've got one that is always the one that we brew at scratch. So everybody has the same cup of coffee every morning. We're not switching that up on them. But we have four different lines we sell. And it's something in the next year we're going to be looking at selling those a little more aggressively, you know, online and in different marketplaces where right now we just have them available at the counter, Mm -hmm. you know, to purchase by the bag and you can get whole bean or ground and we roast them in the back. Again, that was another thing when I was starting scratch, I started researching coffee and really started thinking about it because coffee is obviously a big reason some people come in and we've got customers that come in just for a cup of coffee you know, because that's one of those things, it's a morning routine item and you want a good cup of coffee. So when we started researching the coffee roasters, a buddy of mine, we went in and he's actually roasting his own as well through a different company. And we just split a roaster and just put it in a building where we have behind scratch and we just roast all of our coffee in there. So it made sense for us to do that. Mm -hmm. No, that sounds great. There are a lot of little micro coffee roasteries all across Virginia and I want to do a little flavor tour or something like that. It would be kind of fun. It's interesting. You're seeing a lot of them pop up and I think it's really cool to see that in the area because I think a lot of people think coffee is very hard to roast and I'm not saying it's absolutely easy to roast. It's just, it's not as hard of a process as a lot of people would think. It's something that if you have a little bit of a passion for it and you invest in the equipment and invest in the right beans and figure out which flavor profiles you want, you can provide that for your customers and it's another marketing tool which you know you can use to your advantage as a small business owner cuz i feel like customers at this point in age want to come into a restaurant where they feel like everything is cared for as much as possible from the food you eat to the beverages you drink it makes sense for the whole scratch concept as well yeah people who care about local and small business they're buying that extra touch they're buying your point of view on food i think For me, it's very important that we're completely transparent with the customer and they know exactly where the products are coming from and that we're also investing back in the communities where our businesses are, because I also feel like that's a very important part of any small business is to reinvest in your community to inspire the next generation. That's all part of the dream, in my opinion. That is local business right there. Do you ever have issues with supply chain? 2020 is the year of supply chain, by the way. Everyone is having trouble. But when you're trying to source locally, do you ever have issues with trying to get what you need to fulfill your customer expectations? Or are you tightly into your suppliers that you can anticipate need? 
for us personally, the local presence has been much easier to get some supply from because they're more of, you know, family run operations or very small scale operations compared to some of the national ones. So as far as like our beef, flour, we haven't had issue with any of that at all. Now, when you get into some of the the bigger chains, the bigger food, you know, distributors, there's been some discrepancies here and there, nothing too, too bad. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things like we were out of ribs for quite a while at the beginning, just because there were so few short of them. And then once they finally did come back, the price point was so high. It's just something that I wasn't willing to press on to our customer after we smoked them on the smokers and everything. And then about two months it evened out, we were able to get them back. And our food reps and everybody were doing the absolute best they could. It was just one of those things, a lot of the factories and warehouses where they were getting product were either shut down or were operating at half capacity. And they weren't able to push out the volume that they normally push out. So we haven't had an issue with anybody being upset about it because I think for the most part, everybody knows everybody's trying the best they can right now. And we're just kind of working with what we can work with. Yeah, I think this year everyone is pretty much off overused phrase, but we're all in it together. They're like, yeah, I see you're struggling too. So we're not going to get as wound up about it. And the shutdowns are, you know, it's important. You got to take care of the health and safety of the workers. And that just happens. Communication is key to the customers too. And we try to tell all staff members, crew members, just communicate that to customers when they come in and they have questions about that. Because once they understand it gives them more knowledge to go off of. And once they know more, they understand more. And then they're not as likely to get upset about something that's out of everybody's control. Yeah. So a little anticipating or setting expectations goes a long way in your customer relationship. So that's good. So you told me a little bit about your po'boy. Can you describe that a little more? What can people be looking to enjoy? It's going to be a simple menu, pretty much like eight to 10 sandwiches probably. With Scratch, we wanted to keep it simple, just keep it around biscuits, breakfast items, kind of the same thing with the po' boys. And as anybody that is, you know, a po' boy fan or loves po' boys, it's all about that bread. So it's obviously we're not going to be able to replicate bread exactly like they do down in New Orleans because, you know, the water's different, the temperature's different, weather's different, all different types of variations go into baking that makes a big difference. But we've got a local shop here in Roanoke that's going to be baking our bread for us. So it's going to be a fresh baked bread that we offer. And then obviously we're going to have shrimp, oyster, roast beef. We're going to have like a cheeseburger po' boy. We're going to have a breakfast po' boy. And it's just going to be straight po' boys with some made in-house chips we do that we season and deep fry. And then you'll be able to get a soda or a beer with them, you know, and either enjoy it in-house or take it to go. But it's going to be one of those things where it's super simple to the point, but it's going to be a real good filling sandwich. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we're going to have Crystal's hot sauce. You got to have Crystal's hot sauce <laughs> if you're going to Pobol. You can't use any other hot sauce. <laughs> so it'll be good. That sounds great. I thought you were just referencing one sandwich, but it's a whole line of... Yeah, it's going to start at 11 o'clock daily in Scratch once we open it. So from 11 to like 9 o'clock at night, you'll be able to come in and get a Pobol in that location. So we'll just transition from breakfast to Pobol's. And honestly, it came about because we have been closing normally at Scratch at two o'clock and that building's just kind of sat there. We've got a full kitchen. I mean, we do catering and stuff out of it, you know, as is right now. But, you know, the more I started thinking about it, the more I was looking around and I was like, you know what? Nobody does po' boys around here. 
And people love po'boys. I don't care who you are. People love po'boys. So I was like, we can easily knock this out in our kitchen in the afternoons. We've got everything we need to do it. So let's just do it. And everybody, you know, that we have on staff was excited about it. So right now we're just kind of building up staffing levels to make sure we can do it appropriately and to the quality that we want to do it. And once we start, we don't want to have to pull back. So once we do release it and we start rolling with it, it's going to be full steam and everybody's going to get some good, good po'boys here and run it. Oh my goodness. Ed, thanks for that sneak preview. That sounds really good. I'm I'm excited. I'm going to have to, it's going to be worth another trip over to Roanoke, I think. Oh, yeah. We'd love to have you down and grab a picture of them. They look sexy on film, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier that you come from a farming background, but is there something, I want to know how you got into this. You seem to be a kind of a restaurant serial entrepreneur. Like, is there something growing up that led you to work in food or an experience you had? It's kind of an interesting story. After I graduated college, I did one job and I sat in office for like a week and it just, I knew this isn't what I could do. And I went and put in my two week notice. And ever since then, I've kind of just worked for myself and just started companies, businesses. With the Village Grill, I was in the neighborhood. I was actually flipping a house and I was meeting a buddy down there for lunch and my real estate kind of background kind of went off when I saw the location and I found out the place was for sale. So I was like, all this place needs is, you know, a little bit of attention needs kind of a flip in a way. And the owner at that time was needing to sell it. So we negotiated a price and I took over in January 1st, 2009. I didn't have any restaurant experience. I just knew how to run a business. So I kind of took a crash course into running restaurants, which honestly, for someone that has my personality, that was the best thing I could do because it was just both feet in, figured out, sink or swim time. Oh my goodness. 11 years later. Yeah. I didn't know anything about food costs. I didn't know anything about that. I just knew that this restaurant had potential because it was a great neighborhood and the people in the neighborhood support local. So the neighborhood has definitely been along with me as the businesses have grown and my staff has been along with me, you know, because I think People need to recognize anytime you see a small business that the staff is the backbone. They're the ones that are making it happen every day. They're the ones that are out there working and and pulling things together. So, I mean, I've been very fortunate to have some of the staff members that we've had. And I've had some long-term staff members that have definitely helped out along the way. It was something the more I started doing it, the more I absolutely started loving it. And I mean, I've always enjoyed the social aspect of it because I feel like so many conversations can be had around a meal you know, so many conversations can be had over around the drinks, problems can be solved, you know, issues like that. It's just, I love the social aspect of it and I love being able to provide food. So the more the business grew, the more ideas came, obviously. And we branched into catering, we branched into barbecue, then we branched into scratch and into the coffee roasting. So things have a way of snowballing when there's a lot of positive energy behind it. Oh, it sounds like you had a ton of positive energy. That's a lot of really good things to come out of like hey, I could flip this building. (laughs) No, it it is. And it's one of those things like it was when I came in that first year, I did everything from doing dishes to working on the line to people will laugh at this now because people that know me will be like, you know, waiting tables. But I mean, literally the first year and a half there, I was waiting tables, you know, and doing some bar shifts because I I just, I was like, if I'm going to run this business, I need to understand every component of it. If I'm going to ask people to do things and have them understand why I'm asking them to do things. So I wasn't asking things also that were unreasonable to ask. It was a real good experience for me in a way. And at that point in my life, I needed a little bit of change. I needed something that was going to excite me. And walking into that restaurant and taking over was the right move. 
Well, you know, you're expressing a sentiment that I've heard from a lot of small business owners is that you have to get in the trenches and do some of the work yourself before you can set an expectation. So you wear a lot of hats. Well, I think think that's how you build pride in your brand too. And you let people know that you're not just there to pull money out of the business. And that's something that's very passionate to me is like reinvesting in the community. So when we have profits, I want to keep building the businesses for the neighborhoods, for the community, you know, that aspect. It's something I think that young entrepreneurs is one of the things they need to see other entrepreneurs doing, you know, to kind of guide them as they move forward. Well, that's a wonderful sentiment and point of view for a business owner. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And I loved learning more about Scratch. I mean, I've known you through the pictures, I've eaten in your restaurant, but I love hearing the background stories. So thank you so much. Before we go, I want to make sure that everyone listening knows where to find you. So can you share your Instagram and website and all those good things? For uh, Scratch Biscuit Company, we are scratchbiscuit.com. And for our Facebook, Instagram, search for Scratch Biscuit Company, you'll find those. Village Grill is villagegrillroanoke.com. And same thing on Instagram, you can research that or search for it in the toolbar. This is why I have social media people too, because they handle this stuff so much better than I do. (laughs) Search for it and find it because they take all the cool pics and everything you see. That's definitely not me. That's beyond where my talent goes. But yeah, you can find them online and we're going to have the app out soon that you can look for in the app store. I'm hoping that's going to be coming out in the next three to four months. And that's going to be for Scratch, for Village Grill, for the Po' Boys when that happens. And, you know, for the coffee as well. So you can get that shipped to you as well. Well, that is great. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I'm sure people are going to be tracking you down. I'm going to be watching for those po' boys. It'd be good. I'm excited about it because it's something I've always loved the good po' boy. And I think most people do. You know, we'll be running gumbo and etouffee specials, weather permitting, all that stuff. And I think every, a lot of people love Cajun food. Yeah, that's going to be great. Well, thanks for talking to me and I hope you have a great rest of the day. I want to really thank you for having me on today because all small businesses really appreciate that local support and we've seen so much of it this year. It's one of those things that's really been a blessing. So thank you again for for allowing me this opportunity. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about how to grow your own food brand, then click on Grow My Brand at vafoodie.com. If you're a lover of local food, then be sure to follow us. We're at VA Foodie on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join the conversation and tell us about your adventures with good food, good people, and good brands.